Can you hear me? Oh. <laughs> I haven't got a mic. Well, I have the privilege of uh, reading the last two chapters of Revelation today, and I don't know whether anyone else agrees with me, but it's been a fantastic series. Thank you, Pastor Ed. So here we go, Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Omega. I'm sorry, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulphur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and higher as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement and it was 144 cubics thick. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. First foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls each, each gate made of a single pearl. 
The great street of the city was of gold as pure as transparent glass. I did not see its temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the lamp is its lamp. The lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendour into it. Oh no, oh no, day, day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honour of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Whew, that's 21. <laughs> I do this at home with no problems. Uh, Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophet, sent his angels to show his servants the things that must take place. Look, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in the scroll. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of this scroll, worship God. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll because the time is near. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right and let the holy person continue to be holy. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride says, come and let the one who hears this come. Let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll 
If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and the holy city, which are described in this scroll. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Judy. Good morning, everybody. Um, feel free to grab a Bible in the middle you, if you want, if you don't have one on you, if you want a hard copy or your, or your own or, or your phone and keep them open at sort of Revelation 21 and 22. Um, sometimes I get very... tired and sort of overwhelmed, like, like Dana perhaps said, uh, and, uh, you know, I've learned one of the hacks to cope with it, I think it came from a psychologist, is that in the moment of feeling very blue and tired, you know, as the seasons of life go by, one of the things that really help is, uh, that helps is to... Uh, Plan a holiday <laughs> or think about planning something that you enjoy that pulls you out of that. And I've kind of stepped into that habit, you know, spending periodically half a morning on my day off just dreaming and browsing and planning, even though half the time I don't do any of those things. <laughs> the act of thinking ahead about something that is joy-bringing, healing, peaceful, resting, in itself helps us, motivates us, encourages us. Now, we're, we're, if you're visiting with us today, you're catching us on the last sermon in a series on the book of Revelation. Congratulations to Pathway. Uh, this has been a phenomenal undertaking, and, and I trust highly worthwhile. We, we, we didn't skimp on this. We, we, we preached long, hard, deep sermons, as will be today's. Uh, but the, the, the whole point of the end of Revelation, where we get now right towards the end, is, is, is looking forward at that bright ending, the holiday, the thing that is coming. You know, my, my, my example of, of feeling a bit tired sometimes due to work and all that kind of stuff is trite, but... but some of you are in chronic struggles, physical, relational, longings, unfulfilled desires, trauma. We think of the church, symbolically represented here as the seven lampstands to whom all of this was written. Excruciating situation they found themselves in. What they needed, what you need, what I need, is a glimpse of the future of what is coming. Revelation 21 and 22 is exactly that. It's that moment when you read it, when you reflect on it, when you sit down and ask, can you imagine, as we should do often, to say to us, hey, it's all right. 
keep going. Keep going. Keep going. It, it, <laughs> this today is not the reality. It's not your life. It's not your future, right? <laughs> a better end is coming. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look a little bit into that. And what I want to do for a start, um, as we've done every week, is quickly just look at a big picture thing and then delve into some details. Today really is the bringing together of the whole book of Revelation. We started on day one with these seven churches and we kind of you know, mentioned that each of them had a very particular thing in chapter 2 and 3 um, that they lacked and that Revelation is supposed to give them. God makes some promises to each of them, and I won't go through the details now, on chapter 2. And in chapter 21 and 22, right at the end of the book, like bookends, each of these things that he promises to these churches are given and fulfilled. That's a snapshot and summary. Tree of life in the paradise of God in 2 verse 7, 22 verse 2, it's given. right? And so you can go inclusion in the new temple, 3 verse 12, it's given in 21. The new Jerusalem is promised to one of the churches in 3.12. In 21, it's given. Uh, God's name written on each person, given. Name in the book of life, given. Bright garments, given. Uh, the sun or a bright stone or a luminary, which is the presence of God. It's promised in 2 verse 17. And in 21 and 22, it's given. Reigning with Christ, it's given. Right? Exclusion from the second death. All the promises made on, on week one are fully given in 22 and 22. But here's the question of why this is perhaps useful to know. This is my question. You know, um, why not just go straight from chapter 3 to chapter 21 and 22? Hey? <laughs> why did we have to spend weeks trudging through so much of this muck and mire and even this series is long? Why, why not? Why is Revelation not just five chapters long? Why? Because I think it in itself, in all those weeks that we trek through, is to say that life is hard. There is a beast to battle in the journey. There are lies. There are falsehood. There is suffering to make sense of how God redeems that in his hand. There is so much happening. And yet none of that takes away from the surety of the promise that what was promised in the beginning will be given in the end because God is faithful. He's going to give it. Hang in. It's the bottom line of the whole book of Revelation. Right? Hang in there. If you want to sum it up, is hold on. Hang in. God has not forgotten. Nothing will be wasted. And this is where it ends. Dwell on that when you're tired. Dwell on that when you're scared. Dwell on that when you're unsure. Dwell on that when you're angry. Dwell on Revelation 21-22. Let it motivate, move us, because that's what it's supposed to do. Okay? And that's what the whole book is supposed to do. But, for today's purposes, let's dip into Revelation 21-22 a little bit, and we just uh, see what we can see. I, I'll try and sum it up for us. Um, oh, do I have my... I don't think I have my summary statement here. All right, here it is. I think this is what chapter 21 and 22 tell us in one statement. 
God's win over sin and Satan finishes with him establishing a perfect existence in which his physical people enjoy his full presence in absolute protection. There are a bunch of P words there. Except physical is starting with a P, but it sounds like not like a P, okay? Perfect existence, physical people enjoying God's full presence in absolute protection. That's what's being promised here. It's a bit sterile a statement, but let me unpack it and we'll put some life to it, all right? Perfect existence. Chapter 21, verse 1 to 6, kicks off these two chapters. It goes back to Isaiah where a new heavens and earth is promised. But I want to draw your attention perhaps here to, this is going to be, as one author puts it, the transformation of the fundamental physical structure of the creation. Okay? Here, what I want us to to, to grasp is the sheer size of the gospel of what God is going to do. You see, it's not just our spirits that are spiritually going to be with Jesus. We know that eventually our bodies will be resurrected. We're going to be physically with him. It's a physical existence. But then it doesn't stop there. It's not just human bodies. It's the entire cosmos. <laughs> the, the whole earth. Everything. Everything's going to be remade. The solar system. You know, the Bible's not a science textbook, but it's worth dwelling on this a little bit, just, just, just speculating, if nothing else. We've got, to, we've got to think about the vast shape of the sun. You know, I think the remake process, we don't know the details, but it's probably first destroying the old and then creating the new, just like human bodies and Christ's body went through death into a resurrection. So the whole cosmos is going to go through a death and a resurrection in it will be remade as well. Consider the size of the sun. Consider the, 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 the sheer statistics of this. Uh, uh, you know, if the sun stops shining, just put it in some context, <laughs> we have about eight minutes to sort out your affairs. Because in eight minutes, you'll be clothed in complete darkness. Within a week... The surface temperature of the earth would be zero degrees. Within a year, it would be minus 73. Nothing will grow. Nothing can happen. And I think, and I'm speculating, but this is the sheer size of the scope of the work that God is going to do in the end. He's going to wipe it and start new. I don't know if the new heavens or earth will have a physical sun or not, but think on those terms. Think that size. Think that scale. This is the size of the work that God is going to do in creating a new <laughs> heavens and a new earth. It's enormous. A, a perfect existence, right? That is biologically, ecologically, sociologically, physiologically, I don't know what other logically word I can think of, perfect and new in each and every single aspect. I don't know if it'll have pets or not, <laughs> whether they're going to go, but... But that's the size of what we are talking about here, right? And yet, the most beautiful part in verse 1 to 6 is the picture, I think. 
of this hand that can take the sun away and put a new one in place. Coming to you and wiping the tears off your eyes. It's remarkable. It's remarkable what God intends to do. <laughs> its size and scope has no limits for us, and, and we're introduced to it so sweepingly, breathtakingly, just in the first six verses already. There's more to say there, and I'll, I'll get back to some bits, but, but here it is. God is going to make a perfect existence. right? And it is for... His physical people. I'm not going to do too much here because I think we pick up on this in other, uh, other, other parts of the Bible and, and it gets stated fairly regularly in Christian teaching, right? But the point is, all of it is for his people. The church. <laughs> when you think church, you think of all believers, all children of God, of all times. Adam. Eve, right until, I don't know how long it's going to last, all of those who made the response to say, yes, God, I know you love me, I know I'm sinful, I know you paid for my sins, and I know you want to recreate and remake me, I'm part of your family. This group of people, and imagine again the shape and scope and size of who will be there and how many will be there, you could collectively say that is the church who needs the vision of all of revelation. This new existence is created for them. That's what's going to be there. That's who it's for, right? The love of God in creating a place for his people to live. Some verses that stand out in 21 and 22 talk about this. It talks about the bride, which is the wife of Jesus, that's the church. The nations. This is not just for an in crowd. This is for anyone who would respond to the love of God in Christ. They will be there. The tree that grows in the middle in Revelation 21-22 are for the healing of the nations. Nothing impure will ever enter this place, nor anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the book of life. Church, imagine. Imagine. Imagine what that is going to look like. Being reunited as an entire family of God in the perfect existence. With Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Adam, Eve. <laughs> it's incredible. And right now the church should of course be a microcosm of that gathered community. Loving community, people from all walks of life, welcomed already into the family of God. Our existence here should already reflect that one. Imperfect, but that's the one, okay? Let's move on from that point. God's perfect existence for his physical people in his full presence. Here I want to hover a bit. I want to work with the image of a city here a little bit. We read in verse 10 that John wrote Revelation saw a holy city, Jerusalem. Can you please look at your Bible for me, or just from your memory of the reading of the verse, yell out to me, 
What, what was interesting? Just some of the imagery about how that city is described. What, what's in there? Just, just yell that out to me. I'm not looking for anything specific. I just wanted to re refresh. What do we see there? Yeah, what sort of gold is that, hey, love? But gold, everything gold. Yeah, what a lavish picture. Thanks, Tamara. What else? Yeah. Yeah, Ben. Yeah, gates cut out of a single jewel. I mean, it's just <laughs> it's astounding. Yeah, right. <laughs> what an oyster, hey? Yeah, what a thing. What a, what a, what a pearl. Yeah. Yeah, all those precious stones, quite a variety of them, 12 of them. Yeah, a very, very um, detailed and ornate, all those stones. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the size of it, I'm going to dwell in that. That's a very important thing to note. Uh, it's got a huge thing to say to us. Yeah, but it's a, it's a, big, it's a big joint. In fact, um, in fact uh, oh, let's get into it. I mean, you know, it's a cube. Yeah, it's an interesting sort of thing, isn't it? It's in direct proportions of cubes, yeah. Size of the moon. Yeah, okay, wow. That's incredible. Yeah, okay. Um, that sounds about right, actually. Yeah, sure. So secure, so impenetrable. In Were the 12 apostles? Yeah, there was a replacement, yeah. Yeah, well, I think so. <laughs> but yeah, it's very interesting actually on that point uh, is that the foundation is the apostles and then the 12 tribes. And you sort of go, it's really the gospel that is the foundation of all this new thing, you know, and all other history fits around the gospel. That You'd have thought it would be 12 tribes and then the apostles. Uh, it's the other way around. Very interesting twist. Those things are all true. They're all there. Now, please stay with me. I want to I take you through the significance of some of these things and, and why they matter to us, okay? Stay with me because there's a little bit of Old Testament knowledge. If you're new to church, the Bible is sort of in two parts, Old Testament, New Testament. We're in the last book of the Bible. A lot of the things featuring here come through the Old Testament and um, it's helpful if you grasp what they are, but if not, that's okay. Just, just let's make the best of it as we can. City is in a cube shape. Exactly right. God makes perfect world, Garden of Eden, Adam, Eve, and he dwells with them, his presence. People know him, people see him. They, they visibly experience him. He's with them. His presence is always there, manifest, visible, experienced, enjoyed. Sin enters the world. And that presence is not there anymore in that form. From then on, God begins a journey that's going to lead to the end of Revelation, but along the way, he gives these temporary places where he puts his presence. It's a part of a structure early in the Bible called the tabernacle, and in one specific cube section of that tabernacle, God's presence dwells. The temple a bit more permanent but still temporary structure later on throughout the Old Testament has a place in it, a cube called the Holy of Holies. That is where God's presence dwells. Once a year, on the Day of Atonement, the priest, having made the right sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins, can enter into this Holy of Holies. They still tie a rope around him because he might die in there and nobody else is going to go in there. So they can pull him out. Right? So... <laughs> 
Weighty is the presence of God. Revelation, the whole new existence of God's redeemed people lives in the Holy of Holies. It's an extraordinary promise of how you're going to experience and know and see and taste the presence of God. Whole new heavens, whole new earth is a holy of holies. Similarly, the jewels, um, you know, the jewels are actually the priests, the high priests in the Old Testament that uh, used to sort of uh, govern and, and oversee the temple and tabernacle. Started with a guy called Aaron and his garb that he had to wear had this sort of a perfect scube plate on the chest and it was decorated with colours. The same colours um, that you find mentioned in the description of the jewels. And I think what it's meant to say to us is A, that we have that unprecedented access to the presence of God but also something of the beauty and the glory and the splendour of God. Right? In the new heavens and new earth the whole city is adorned with the jewels. Previously only worn by the priest, now visible, worn, lived in by everybody. And the third image is that of darkness and light. Notice the absence of the sun. It could be physical, but as we said, we need to be careful. I think... Perhaps it's not so much physical or scientific, but what's really the case here is that the sun signifies to us the beauty and the presence of God. Time and time again we read, there will be no sun, God himself will be the sun. There will be no temple <laughs> because God himself is there. <laughs> In the new creation, says uh, an author, uh, G.K. Bill, in the new creation, God's presence alone is what beautifies God's people and what satisfies their every need. God's physical people, in a perfect existence, enjoying his full presence. Okay, that's where we're up to. But some of us would say, yes, but this can't last, right? See, we're conditioned to think that things will go wrong. We're conditioned to things that to think that when things go well, they're never as true or as good as they seem. When you're enjoying riding a wave in life, don't enjoy it too much because we know it's going to end, right? Because it's always going to end. It's always going to go down. Something is always going to go wrong. Nothing lasts forever. And I think at this point in this whole description, we, we perhaps if we're very honest with ourselves, would go, mm, this sounds good, but surely it can't last. Well, it can. Because this incredible, perfect existence in the presence of of God is inviolable. It's protected. 
And now we get to the dimensions of these city walls. I want to talk about them because they're very powerful. Um, 12,000 stadia by 12,000 stadia by 12,000 stadia. Anybody have a crack at how... Go, Ben. Oh, Ben, spot on. Kilometres, yes. Did you just know that? Did you just look it up? <laughs> I love living in the information age. Although it's in your Bible, actually. I noticed a note. Yes. Um, okay, 2,220 kilometres, yeah? I did a bit of looking at the Australian map. You're going from Devonport to, I think, roughly Seduna in South Australia to Cape York down to Harvey Bay. That's the square we're talking about. It's big, right? <laughs> I mean, it's not big as far as on global terms, but it's big for a city. It's, it's a fairly large city, which, which seems to suggest to us, if we can touch back on our previous point, you know, that there's going to certainly be a lot of people in there. There's going to be a whole heap of uh, this church that's going to inhabit it, that God created it for, is big. It's going to be glorious. Uh, and, and I think, though, not only is it big, but it's the size that matters here. Because it's also 144 cubits thick. Ben, how wide is that? <laughs> Anyone? 65 metres. If I was to walk right from here to North Fenton Street, roughly, that's how thick these walls are. Now, people are a little bit uncertain about how it all works because a wall that's two kilometres high can't stand if it's only 65 metres thick. It probably will topple. I'm no engineer. But let's not over, overthink the symbolism that Revelation is trying to uh, give us here. Okay? What it's trying to say to us is that this city is impenetrable. It will last. Nothing's going to go wrong. It cannot go wrong. It, there's no riding a, a crest here that is going <laughs> to, as we would expect, eventually come down. It can't. It won't. Right? In fact, you'd say, so secure is it that there's this, it seems like the walls are a redundancy because the gates, notice in verse 25, will never be shut. Despite the secure walls, the gates never need to be shut. You don't need to lock your doors and nothing's going to happen. Okay? It cannot fail. There's no Satan. There's no beast. There's no lies. There's no fake beauty. It's permanent. Forever secure and safe. The thing that every human perhaps desires most is to be safe. Know that we're safe. Know that nothing can go wrong. And you say, well, what about people? It's fine for the enemies of God to be vanquished in hell. Remember last week, and even bits in these passages talks about hell and what God does with keeping the city safe by removing others. But, but the astute mind, maybe you're one of them, would say, well, where there are people... There's trouble, right? 
Can you surely bank on the fact that in this large city with, filled with this many people that they, will never, that they themselves won't ever cause an issue? We know that's sort of what the church is like, right? Children of God, and yet we know churches are very much broken places where things go wrong, where people are still grappling with their sin, still hurting each other, still being selfish, still doing all that sort of stuff. So fine to say there's no Satan, there's no beast, there's no nothing of that in this human new heavens and new earth, but there's still people, right? Rather the people. They surely would have to stuff it up. Well, Here's where I think we get one of the most beautiful things about Revelation. Do you notice in 22 verse 1 to 6, we're, we're getting nearing the end here, it talks about a garden. If you're familiar with the Bible, you, a, a garden straight away takes you to the beginning of the Bible, right? It's the beginning of the Bible <laughs> where God, interestingly, had in mind a perfect existence with his physical people enjoying his full presence already. But it didn't quite work out. Because there was something there in that garden that's missing in this garden. Spot the difference. Beginning garden to end garden. What's not here? Shell it out. There's no tree of knowledge Good and evil, containing a snake. You know what that means? It means that not even I can stuff up this place. Not even you can stuff up this place. The sinful nature, the very thing inside us that we battle, that that is our innate corruption in this new existence, is gone. You cannot do wrong yourself if you wanted to. It's so secure that even we cannot stuff it up. Right? And so here we get again to the point of how vast is the glory of the work of God. How good is the prospect of the holiday that is coming. I urge you to dwell on it a lot. It should be what keeps us going when the going gets tough. Now let me wrap up by asking one last practical question. I love the stuff that came out in the beginning about what we look forward to. I want to be a little bit honest, thinking back to my younger self. Young people, maybe you can relate, maybe you can't, but I have heard the question put to me by some people in this church in the past. Won't heaven be boring. <laughs> Anybody here worry about that? Is there any? Okay, Ben is honest. I remember distinctly being your age, Ben, and I was going, I don't know about this. I feel a bit worried because this whole idea of even gold streets to me <laughs> seemed seem pretty, I don't know, a bit sterile and, and maybe the classical depictions of us floating about. Certainly the idea of, of, of singing and praising God was not appealing to me as a young person. Maybe I equated it to church, right? (laughs) Not appealing to me. Not something that I actually look forward to because won't it be boring and what on earth will we be doing? That's a very practical, crude way of approaching this. Okay, let me finish the message by saying a couple of things on that. 
Because I think it's important. On the one hand, my fear that this might be boring is truly a sign of my immaturity. Spiritual maturity, that is. You see, the more I grow as a child of God, the keener and stronger my desire for beholding the beauty and splendor of God should become. I should grow in loving and enjoying praising Him. Martin Lloyd-Jones is a famous old preacher. He, he, he says, praise of God is the highest indicator of a person's spirituality. The extent to which I can enjoy praising God reveals the extent to which I, with the eyes of faith, see God for what He is. <laughs> Therefore, if that grows, my sense of praise of God will grow and heaven is going to be a great place because that is what I get to the nth degree. And so on the one hand, to say that it might be boring, I, I kind of just want to say, let's look at developing our taste and craving for the beauty and splendor of God. Our prayer should be, God, would you open the eyes of my heart? I want to see you and I want to see you more. And this is where prayer is relevant. We need to grow in prayer. Grow in understanding, beholding, gazing upon the beauty of the Lord. That's what we'll get there. And may it not be a surprise to us. May we be truly, like some of you have said, truly looking forward to. So that's on the one hand. On the other hand, just because God is gracious, He gives us not just Himself, but also his gifts. Do you notice that it's really interesting that in the Bible it begins with a garden and in the end we have a city. A garden city in the new heavens, new earth. It tells us that God always had in mind that we would be building stuff, developing stuff, <laughs> doing things. We would be creative. We would express that creation. We would uh, shape, make, order, create, lead. We are going to do stuff, right? It's called the fancy language, the cultural mandate in Scripture. God always had in mind for his children in their perfect environment to be involved in acts of creating ordering, exploring, and building. It's part of the original earth. And I think we're going to be, I'm guessing, but somewhat certain that it will be part of the new earth and heavens as well. So, on that front, my dear friends, we need to be imagining. Imagine the music we'll make, the art we'll create, the gardens that we'll grow, the animals that we will get to look after. The food we'll prepare, the feasts that we will share, the buildings that we will build, the teaching, the education that we would do to go about discovering more of the glory of God in what he has created. There, it took us 
6,000 years, we don't know yet what he's made in this old earth. Imagine what he's going to make in the new one and to discover that by our means and mechanisms of science or whatever it is, right? The travelling will do, the governing and administration of a society like that, the games that we'll play. (laughs) Best of all, none of these things will compete in our affections for God himself, as they do now. They'll be enjoyed in the appropriate order because we are made new, wanting who we want with the desire that we should. And on that note, can you imagine what church would be like? (laughs) Can you imagine the worship? Think Hebrews of the multitudes from every nation, language, tribe and tongue getting together in this city on Sunday. To worship God. (laughs) Can you imagine? Pray with me, please. Father God, I thank you that we had the privilege of hearing, and I pray by your grace, experiencing you yourself in this wonderful part of your word and revelation. Father, I pray that its truth will continue to shape us, encourage us, fill us, challenge us as we journey forward. We look forward to what you will do and have promised. Thank you that it's there as a bright light at the end of what sometimes might be a long and dark tunnel. Amen. Come soon, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right. Thanks, Tim.